don't want you to get in the habit of thinking we have a routine here. <laughs> There's a short, simple little passage that is so powerful and so effective. I like what it says in the message. It says in Ephesians 4 and verse 32, Forgive one another as thoroughly and as quickly as God in Christ has forgiven you. We're going to talk about that tonight. Got some things I want to share with you. Let's pray. Father, in the wonderful name of Jesus, we're glad that we can call upon our Savior and our Lord and our God. We thank You for the power of forgiveness. We thank You for the blessing that we have and that we benefit from when we forgive others. Father, You know that we get wounded, we get hurt. Sometimes, Father, some very painful things happen throughout our lifetime. But You've left us the example to forgive. To forgive others as You have forgiven us in Christ. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Alrighty. I want to tell you a story tonight. And how unusual is that? <laughs> I want to tell you the story of Buster. Now, I'm going to be honest with you right up front. His name really is not Buster. But I have to keep that private. Because what I'm going to tell you about Buster... Well, it's not very complimentary. But besides that, Buster fits him very well. Buster played on our football team. And he busted through that offensive line like a bulldozer. On the baseball diamond, he hit home run after home run over the home run fence. But Buster ruled our school campus like a junkyard dog. He was raw. He was ripped. He had linebacker arms. Most of us just learned to avoid him. Stay out of his way. Avoid his presence. But one Friday night, my luck ran out. Me and a couple of friends, we were hanging out at a convenience store. This is in Oklahoma City up near the class and circle at a convenience store. And there's a reason that we were there. Because that convenience store always sold beer to minors. <laughs> and we were there. And Buster drives up. Now, I don't know if it was something that was said. I don't know if it was the way that maybe I looked. But Buster spits in my face and he goes after my friend. And he pushes him through an open car door. And then he goes about, you know, reshaping his jaw. And eventually, me and my other friend, we pull him off. I mean, Buster on Johnny was like a grizzly on a squirrel. Wow. And so we grabbed him and we pulled him off and 
Johnny climbed out. His eyes were black and blue. His nose was bleeding. And his pride was bruised even more. And we walked away with our tails tucked between our legs. I spent that weekend, I tried to sort out exactly what had happened. I mean, what had we done wrong? What had we said? What had we done? I mean, and then I thought, should I have defended my friend? And, well, maybe Buster's going to come after me next. And I knew I was going to run into him on Monday somewhere in the hallway between classes. So I thought about what I was going to say. It took some courage. And sure enough, we did meet in the hall on that Monday. I mean, I was fearful he would punch my lights out. But I asked him, why did you spit in my face? And why did you jump my friend? And he gave me that old pit bull snarl. Oh, I don't know. I guess I was drunk. And he walked away and I took a deep breath. The explanation said more than the humiliation of someone spitting in your face. And my friend just happened to be the nearest punching bag. I haven't seen Buster in decades. I was hoping to see him at our 50th class reunion. I was fortunate enough to be the featured speaker at that reunion. Uh, we had a graduating class of over 600. But no Buster. I didn't see Buster. But I've seen his type many times over the years. A couple of years ago, the wife of a friend that I'd played golf with for years, he was near death. And she sat and told us how that over the years he had abused her. In fact, she was going to be glad when he passed away. So glad. Well, she wasn't going to have a funeral. She wasn't going to have an obituary. She wasn't even going to have a death announcement. She just had the ambulance pick him up, put him in a bag, and cremate him. I thought of Buster. I've seen a number of kids read about a number of kids recently that at school they're bullied. They're bullied on Facebook and social media to the point they commit suicide. Buster comes to mind. Years ago when I was building homes, I remember very well a builder had a number of homes that needed to be roofed. And so he brought in a number of illegal aliens to roof those houses. But on the day that they were to get paid, well, he called immigration service and had them deported. And Buster came to mind. I enjoy reading stories of the Innocence Project. And it's a project, as you probably know, that uh, a group of lawyers and attorneys, special people, they advocate for individuals 
who have been incarcerated for crimes that they did not commit. And somehow they've got to prove their innocence. In many cases, they were poorly legally represented. They had been bullied and badgered by someone with a badge in authority, by an over-aggressive district attorney who refused to look at the facts, or an overzealous judge. But when I read those stories, Buster comes to mind. A number of years ago, uh, Warren Buffett, the Oracle of Omaha, at the time he was the richest man in America. He bought H.J. Hines Company, an American icon. And, well, that was fine. And then he set out to fire a lot of people and to lay off, not hundreds, but then thousands of people who had been employed 25, 30, or 40 years. That affected their pension, their retirement. Well, to me, once again, Buster came to mind. You see, we all have a Buster. One or two. Maybe ten. I mean, maybe your Buster left you off the team when you were a kid and sent you home crying. Maybe your Buster was your dad. I mean, he came at you daily. He put you down. He criticized you. He told you you'd never amount to anything. Maybe your buster just flunked you out of a class for no other reason than just out of spite. Maybe your buster put you in a foster home and left and you didn't know whether they'd ever return. Maybe your buster was someone you put a lot of trust in. And they betrayed that trust. They stabbed you in the back, as it were. It left you angry. It left you bitter. You see, busters lie, cheat, steal, take advantage of our goodwill. Busters are the scum of the earth. So let me ask you, how did you react? Maybe you moved on. If not, a question needs to be asked regarding your happiness. You see, resentment, it sucks satisfaction right out of the soul of mankind. And bitterness, it consumes us. And revenge, well, it'll eat like a cancer. One act of retaliation is never enough. One pound of flesh is never enough. Grudges leave us worse off than we were before. And brooding, well, that only makes us bitter. It's foolish to harbor a grudge. Ecclesiastes 7 and verse 9. What happens is that we usually abandon the pathway to forgiveness. Why is that? Well, we perceive that it is impossibly steep. Listen, forgiveness does not pardon the offense. It does not excuse the behavior. 
and neither does it ignore it. Forgiveness is not even necessarily reconciliation. A reestablished relationship is not always possible. And then even more, let's talk about that phrase, forgive and forget. Now, where did that come from? Who came up with that? You can forgive, but you're not going to forget someone who hurt you, someone who sexually abused you and nobody did anything. You're not going to forget someone who stabbed you in the back or stole from you or used you or took advantage of your goodwill. I mean, Jesus forgave, but He didn't forget. We still remember the cross 2,000 years later. You can't just forgive and forget incidents that happen in your life like it's discarded clothing that you no longer wear or putting some garbage in the trash and taking it out to the dumpster. Forgiveness is simply the act of changing your heart toward the offender from a desire of harm to an openness to be at peace. Your life will not change until your heart changes. And a step in the direction of forgiveness is releasing the person from the act. Now, that's a decisive step toward happiness. When researchers from Duke University, they have a divinity school there, they listed eight factors that promote emotional goodwill and stability. Four of the eight, surprisingly, related to forgiveness. Let me mention these tonight. Number one, avoid suspicion and resentment. Number two, quit living in the past. Number three, quit wasting time and energy fighting conditions that you cannot change. And number four, refuse to indulge in self-pity when handed a raw deal. In a paper that was titled, Granting Forgiveness or Harboring Grudges, researchers revealed how that they had invited people to reflect upon a person who had caused them harm. And just the thought of the perpetrator, that led to sweaty palms, a reddened face, elevated blood pressure, a higher heartbeat. All of these things began to occur. But then when they were instructed to imagine the possibility of forgiveness, well, all of the physiological issues, they were reversed. Health and happiness happens when forgiveness begins to be released. There's a number of one another passages throughout the Scriptures, especially in the New Testament, in the Pauline epistles. One of them is where we began tonight, in Ephesians 4.32. Forgive one another as thoroughly and as quickly 
as God in Christ has forgiven you. Now, I thought a little bit about that as I thought about sharing this lesson. And I thought, well, what did Paul not say? Well, he didn't say forgive one another to the point that your conscience dictates. Or forgive one another to the degree that you feel comfortable. Or forgive if it makes common sense. He just said Christ is the standard. You forgive others as Christ has forgiven you. And then he left us an example. And that example is in John 13, 3-5. Where it says, Jesus knowing that the Father had given all things unto Him and into His hands. He had come from God and He was going to go back to God. He rose from supper and He laid aside His garments and He took a towel and He girded Himself and He poured water into a basin and He began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which He was girded. What's the picture? It's the eve of the crucifixion. Jesus had just eaten His final meal with His followers. And John wanted us to know what Jesus knew. Jesus had all authority. He was sent from heaven and He was going to go back to heaven. Jesus was certain about His identity and His destiny. He knew that He was destined for heaven. And because he knew who he was, he could do what he did. What did he do? Well, he rose from supper. Verse 4, when Jesus stood up, don't you imagine the disciples perked up? I mean, they're probably wondering, has he got something he's going to teach us? Or is this going to be another sermon on the mount? Well, they did have something to teach but not in so many words. And then, He laid aside His garments in verse 4. Even the simple, seamless garment of a rabbi was too ostentatious for the task at hand. So Jesus hung His cloak on a hook And he girds a towel around his waist. He then takes a pitcher of water and he empties it into a bowl. And the only sound that we hear is the sound of splash as Jesus fills the basin. And the next sound that we hear is the tap of that bowl on a hardened stone floor. Then we hear the shuffle of leather as he unties and removes the first of two dozen sandals. More splashing. As Jesus then comes to the first disciple, and he places his two feet in that basin of water. Two feet. The stench. The smell. Perhaps the smell of sheep manure. And he cradles those two feet in that basin of water. I imagine him massaging the toes, 
massaging the crusty heels, massaging the painful arches of their feet. He then dries the two feet with a towel. He then stands and he empties the basin of the dirty water and he fills it with fresh water and he repeats the process. It's splash, wash, massage, and dry. So how much time do you think this cleansing process went on for? Well, supposing it took a couple of three minutes for each foot, we're talking about the better part of an hour. Now, keep in mind that Jesus is down to His final minutes with His disciples. If His three years with them were measured by sand in an hourglass, there's only a few grains yet to fall. And yet Jesus chose to use them in this silent sacrament of humility. There was dead silence. No one spoke. No one said a word. Well, that is, except Peter. I mean, he's always got something to say, doesn't he? He objected. And when he objected, Jesus insisted, Peter, if I don't wash your feet, well then, you don't have any part with me. In verse 8. Well, upon that, Jesus, uh, Peter requested, well, why don't you just give me a complete bath? Later that night, the disciples would realize the enormity of what Jesus had done. You see, they had pledged to stay with their Master. They had pledged, oh, we'll never deny you. That's what they had claimed. But those pledges of devotion, well, they melted like wax in the heat of the Roman torches. Because when the soldiers showed up, what did the disciples do? They took off. And I envisioned them sprinting as fast as they could run until they're depleted of strength. And they plop down to the ground, their heads fall forward, and they look wearily at their feet. And that's when they saw the feet that Jesus had just washed. That's when they realized they had been given grace before they even knew they needed it. Jesus forgave His betrayers, His own disciples, before they betrayed Him. Hasn't He done the same for us? I mean, we each have a basin. We each have a buster. But we also have a basin. There's not a one of us that hasn't been wounded. We've been hurt. We, we, perhaps you've been hurt very deeply. But haven't we been forgiven? Preemptively? I mean, before we knew we needed grace, we were offered it. You know, heaven must have a, 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 a basin warehouse. It's got a warehouse somewhere 
And I mean it must contain row after row after row of basins. And there's one particularly well-worn basin that bears the name Joseph Stettheimer. Every day, multiple times a day, Jesus sends an angel over to the warehouse to fetch it. Stettheimer needs another cleansing. And so the angel wings his way over there to the warehouse. Supervisor says, you back? You here again? Yep. Back again. So the angel retrieves my basin and he carries it to Christ. And the master takes the container and he fills it with cleansing grace. And he washes away my sins. All of my betrayals, all of my promises that I didn't keep, they sink like silt to the bottom of the bowl and Jesus throws them out. Have you ever considered how often He washes you? Rarely? If ever? Okay, let's suppose for a moment. Let's suppose that Google spilled the beans. And I were somehow able to come into possession of your sin history video. I mean, the video that's got frame by frame every wayward thought, every vain imagination, every reckless word. Would you want me to play it up on the big screen? Not at all. And I would beg you not to play mine. Don't worry. Google's still safe tonight. I don't have it. But Jesus does. And He has seen every frame of the video. You see, He's seen every back street, back seat, backhanded moment in our lives. And He is resolved. My grace is sufficient. I can forgive these people. I can wash away their betrayals, their lies, their hurts, and smears. And for that reason, we must make the upper room of mercy our home address. If we say that we have not sinned, well, we make him a liar. And the truth isn't in us. If we walk in the light as He is in the light, then the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. 1 John 1, 7-9 Christ our cleanser. He knew our promises would fall like broken glass. He knew that we would dart into some dark alley of shame. He knew that we would bury our faces between our knees. So follow Jesus' lead. Give grace rather than I'm going to get retribution. Give grace 
not because Buster deserves it, but because we have been anointed with it. Forgiving one another as quickly and as thoroughly as God in Christ has forgiven you. Wearing the towel, holding the basin, Jesus said to the church, this is the way we're going to do it. Here's how He said it. In John 13, 14, and 15, If I then, your Lord and your Teacher, if I have washed your feet, you ought also to wash one another's feet. I've given you the example. You should do as I have done unto you. So let others bicker and fight. We don't. Let others keep grudges and bitterness. We don't. Let others keep a list of offenders and offenses. We don't. We take the towel, we take the basin, and we wash one another's feet. They're smelly. They're crusted. They're infected. And we do it because we're only a heartbeat away from heaven. Throw aside the robe of, oh, my rights. Throw aside expectations and make the most courageous move of all. We wash feet. Let's be tender-hearted, forgiving one another. That's how it starts in Ephesians 4.32. So what does tender-hearted suggest? Soft, kind, responsive, as opposed to being hard-hearted, stony, cold, indifferent, hard-hearted, unbending. So, which words describes your heart? I want you to think of your biggest hurt, your deepest rejection, your greatest loss, your most painful pain. Maybe public shame, humiliation. I mean, maybe you're cut out of a will. I don't know. Who knows all the things that happen? Maybe you were the victim of the most hard-hearted individual or situation. See, the question is not, did you get hurt? The question is, are you going to let the hurt harden you? Numb you. Just suck all the life and joy out of you. Are you going to let your heart become a stream of bitterness? Wouldn't you just prefer to be tender-hearted? Forgiving one another? He said, well, I've tried that before. It just doesn't work. Well, let me make a few suggestions. Number one, decide what it is that you need to forgive. Now, you've got to get specific. You've got to narrow it down. You've got to identify the offense. I mean, oh, he was a jerk. Now, that didn't go anywhere. That doesn't describe anything. Oh, he promised to leave work. Leave his work at work and come home and be attentive. That, uh, that's a little bit more desirable. See, that'll work. So, decide what it is that you need to forgive. Then ask yourself, 
Why does it hurt? Why does this offense sting? What about it leaves you wounded? Do you feel betrayed? Do you feel ignored? Do you feel isolated? Do your best to find the answer. So, ask yourself why it hurts. Then, number three, take it to Jesus. I'm going to tell you something. No one is ever going to care more about you or love you more than He does. So, let the hurt, let the wound, let it be an opportunity to draw near unto the Lord. So, does this experience and this lack of forgiveness, is it hampering your well-being? Are you obsessing over it? Does it diminish your peace? If the answer is yes, then take steps in the direction of forgiveness. Talk to Jesus about it in plain terms until the anger subsides. And if it returns, well, talk to Him again. And if you feel safe at some point, well, tell the offender. But you tell the offender with a clear head, with pure motives. Just state your complaint. Be specific, not dramatic. Simply explain the offense and how it makes you feel. Don't raise your voice. Don't threaten. Don't curse. Don't swear. Don't accuse. Just state your complaint and how it makes you feel. And if done respectfully, and if done honestly, this is a step toward forgiveness. Listen. There's nothing easy about broaching a topic that is sensitive. But what we're doing is putting on the servant's garb. By bringing it up, we're giving forgiveness a chance to have its way and to win the day. There's no guarantees that it will work. But if not, then my final idea is conduct a funeral. Now, you say, well, how, what do you do there? Well, you've got to bury the offense. So let me suggest a couple of things I've done there. Sometimes it's real simple. You can just write it on a tissue and flush it away. It's gone. Forget it. Move on. But there's been a time or two when that didn't work. So I had to write it all out very thoroughly. I took it out to one of her old grills, and I put it in that outside grill, charcoal grill, and I set it on fire. And I watched it burn. I cremated it. I had a funeral. There was a couple of times I really couldn't let go. The bitterness just stayed with me. And so... I wrote it all out very thoroughly, exactly what happened, how it made me feel, and why I couldn't let go of it. I talked to Jesus about it many times. But then I put it in a container. In my case, I put it in a shoebox. 
and I just let it lie in state. <laughs> and it laid there. And then I preached a funeral over it. I was going to have the last word. I determined that Buster was not going to hurt me anymore. And I took that shoebox and I buried it so it'd never come back again. You have to refuse to relive the past. Forgiveness is the act of applying your undeserved hurt. I'll get this right in a minute. Of applying your undeserved mercy to your undeserved hurt. You see, you didn't deserve to be hurt. Neither did you deserve to be forgiven. It only makes sense to give grace to others. We have been bathed with forgiveness. We have been showered with grace. We have been immersed in kindness. We have been overwhelmed with God's tender mercies. We're standing shoulder high in God's ocean of goodness. I mean, can't we not fill a cup and offer the happiness of forgiveness to others? I'll never forget a few years ago, the world watched in horror. 21 Christians kneeled in the sand on the seashore and they were martyred by beheading by ISIS terrorists. You may recall that picture. Two of the slain men were brothers, 123, 125. In an interview, the third brother was asked about his feelings regarding the loss of his two brothers. Here's what he said. He said, ISIS helped strengthen our faith. I thank ISIS because they didn't cut the audio when my brothers screamed, declaring their faith. He was asked what his mother would do if she saw the ISIS member who killed her sons. She said that she would invite him home because he helped us enter the kingdom of heaven. These were my mother's words. Happiness happens when we offer to others the grace that we have been given. Jesus gave us the example in the upper room. Isn't it time that we forgive just as God in Christ has forgiven us. Forgive one another as quickly and as thoroughly as God in Christ has forgiven you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I want to forgive others the same way that you have forgiven me. And I know that forgiving Buster is a choice. It's a choice that I must make. 
And so I choose right now to be a forgiving person. I know I must decide to forgive before I can ever feel forgiveness. So Holy Spirit, show me if there's any lack of forgiveness in me that I'm not seeing. I know that forgiving someone, it doesn't make them right. It doesn't justify what they have done. But it frees me from the destruction of bitterness that not forgiving Buster causes. So Lord God, I don't want to limit the good things that you want to pour into my life all because I will not forgive. I never want anything to come between you and me. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, that's the story of Buster.